Are you ready for God's Word today? If you've got your Bible, open up to Acts chapter 2, please, if you would. We just saw some of the verses. But today we're going to walk through a good part of Acts chapter 2. On the church calendar, this is what you call Pentecost Sunday. You know, we have Christmas Sunday, and then we have Easter Sunday, and today on the church calendar is Pentecost Sunday. I want to talk about Pentecost today. I want to talk about 50. 50. Everybody say 50. Not 50 cent, but 50. Okay, we're not going to rap today. Going to talk, talk about God and the, and the day of Pentecost. If you're here for the first time, we especially want to welcome you. Thanks for joining us today. Really glad you're here. Uh, if you have any questions today, go just outside these doors to the right. There's a connection center. They can answer any question you might have. Any situation you might have, they'll have an answer for you. Or check out our website, thebridgechurch.tv. We're just really glad you're here today. We know there are a lot of great churches in the valley, and we're honored that you were here. Can we just put our hands together and welcome our first-time guest today? Thanks for joining us. I want to talk to you about 50, 5-0. Turn to somebody and say 5-0, 5-0. Talk about 50 today. On the church calendar, as I said, it is Pentecost Sunday, and I want to talk to you about Pentecost Sunday and what it means. Look at Acts chapter 2. We're going to dive right into God's Word. Verse number 1, Acts chapter 2, verse number 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now stop here for a moment. We're going to kind of walk through these first few verses. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were in all in one place and in one accord. This is the first time in Scripture you see the word Pentecost mentioned. As I studied this week, you can only really find three places in the New Testament where the word Pentecost is used. This is the first time. It's not in the Old Testament at all. But yet, it's very prominent in the church life and in the church world to know about what happened in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Now, some people say, oh, Pentecost, yeah, you start talking about Pentecost, all kinds of weird stuff, and you hear Twilight Zone music, and, you know, things get weird, and people do weird. You know what? Set that aside for a moment. You know what Pentecost means? Pentecost means 50. That's what it means, 50. Simply means 50. And as you begin to dig into the history of the day of Pentecost, there's two things you need to look at. First of all, the Old Testament. Now, as I said... In the Old Testament, you don't see the word Pentecost. But this day was set aside on the Jewish calendar because it was 50 days after the end of Passover. So in the Old Testament, after Passover is completed, at the end of Passover, you count 50 days starting that end of Passover. And on the 50th day, it's what they called the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks. Later on, they just called it Weeks or in some cases, they called it a feast of harvest because they celebrated in the springtime the harvest that God was bringing into their lives. So in the Old Testament, as you walk these dates out, first you have Passover when they remember how God brought them out of the land of bondage in Egypt. And then they also celebrated 50 days later harvest. And they also at this time celebrated the fact that God gave the law to Moses about this time on Mount Sinai. So in the Jewish calendar, it's important. These 50 days were tied to specific events. 
But then in the New Testament, we find that Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament, and Jesus died at Passover time. He was raised on what we call Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday, and that was at time at the end of Passover. But if you go to Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, count one day right there and start counting forward, seven weeks later, 50 days later, was on the Jewish calendar the festival or Feast of Weeks, but on the Christian calendar it became known as what we call Pentecost. And it goes back to 50 days. But what happened on the day of Pentecost? Why is this prominent? Why is it so important? Well, let me, let me walk you through it from the New Testament side. Jesus was raised from the dead on what we call Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday. For 40 days, he was with his disciples. He taught them things about the kingdom of God. He opened up their understanding to see Old Testament being fulfilled with his life, even his death and his resurrection. He helped them understand what the future was about. And for 40 days, he was with them. And then they, the disciples, saw Jesus ascend into heaven. And when he ascended into heaven, he left them 10 days to prepare for that 50th day, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, what we're about to read is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that came on that 50th day. Now, some people say, well, why did Jesus stay 40 days? Scripture doesn't tell us why. Why did he leave them alone for 10 days? Well, it doesn't tell us why. We do know they did some business. They had to choose who would take the place of Judas. We also know that they spent time praying, coming to a place where they were ready to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But here's what I want you to see. I have an opinion. It's just my own, my own opinion, my own belief. Uh, I haven't written my commentary yet. I'll let you know when I finish them because I will be putting them on sale here in the coffee shop. But when I, I really firmly believe that Jesus gave them 10 days to lay aside their opinions, to reach the place where they were at the end of themselves and they were totally dependent upon God doing what he came to do. Because... Jesus told them in Luke's gospel, stay in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 in the account in Acts chapter 1 of the ascension, Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So stay together and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus called the promise of the Father. So Jesus gives them 10 days to prepare themselves, to pray, to get their hearts prepared to a point where the fishermen stop saying, well, God's going to do it this way, hook, line, and sinker. And the, the accountants, the tax keepers, and tax collectors stop saying, well, God's going to give it to us in an algebraic formula. And the doctors can stop saying, oh, no, no, he's going to give it to us in prescription form. They get to the place where they say, God, you just do what you want to do. And they were in one place in one accord on the day of Pentecost. That's what we hear about. Now, let's read on. Verse number two. And suddenly, everybody say suddenly. It means without warning, they had no notice. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Verse three. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them. Now, 
In these two verses, notice these two unique, unique things. These people are together. The scripture tells us there's about 120 people gathered together. Twelve apostles and about 108 more, including some of the women who followed Jesus, even Mary, the mother of Jesus. They're in this upper room day by day. They're praying. They're seeking God. They're waiting for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, to come. And suddenly, two amazing things happen. It turned into three, but it began with two. First of all, they heard a sound above the building, up in the sky. When it says a sound from heaven, it's not necessarily referring to heaven of heavens. It's referring to the heavens above the earth, the atmosphere. There came a sound from above them as a rushing, mighty, blowing wind. Has anybody here ever been in a tornado? A few of us. If you've ever been in one, you know what the sound of a rushing, mighty wind is like. If you've ever been in a hurricane, you know what it's like. Suddenly there's this sound of a rushing mighty wind and it says it comes in and it fills the place, the house, where they're all sitting and praying and seeking God. So this noise is loud above them and then it comes in and just, the roar just fills the house. And then suddenly there is a bit of fire shaped like a tongue that comes down into the room, begins to split off and evidently it split into 120 pieces and it began to sit upon each one of those individuals. They saw it with their own eyes. Now, let's see what happens next. Verse 4. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some people look at this word filled as you would fill up a container with water or with milk. And you might look at your life and say, okay, God filled them as a container with the Holy Spirit. But this word filled not only means to fill something naturally, it also means to furnish something. It means to complete something, to bring something upon them, to bring something into their lives that they did not possess of themselves. They were suddenly furnished, completed with what they needed for their futures by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in languages, earthly languages that could be understood. They began to speak in earthly languages that they did not naturally know and they had not learned. When you receive that word tongues there and you see it throughout the New Testament, it almost always, if you go look at the words, it means a language that you had not naturally learned. So all of a sudden, think about this. The sound of the wind, these tongues of fire, and then these 120 people, it says it came upon all of them and each one of them began to speak in a language that they did not naturally know. How many of you kind of think this is kind of an amazing thing going on right here. Acts chapter 2, it's an amazing story. They spoke in earthly languages they didn't know because the Holy Spirit gave them the ability to do that. Now, let's, let's read on. Look at verse 5. Some people say, ah, this tongues thing, I just don't really understand. I don't grasp it. Well, stay with me. Look at verse 5. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, Notice those words. There were devout men visiting Jerusalem who had come from every nation under heaven. Every known nation where there were Jewish believers, they had come to Jerusalem. 
perhaps first for the Passover, and they may have stayed those 50 days, or maybe they came for the Passover, went home, and then came back in time for the Feast of Weeks because they're going to celebrate the harvest and give their offerings to God. It's a joyous time of year. Thousands of people are in the city of Jerusalem who would not normally be there because of this holiday season. So look at this, verse 5. They were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the sound of the wind, when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Now, I'll come back to this in just a moment, but think about that. Verse 7. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? Now, pause there a minute. See, Galileans were kind of the unlearned, uneducated people of the day. They dressed a little differently. They had a little different accent. You know, you can't make fun of people unless you are one of them, right? Especially in today's world. You cannot make fun of people unless you are one of them. So I can do this. Most of you cannot. These were the rednecks of, of Judaism, okay? These were the rednecks of the day. They were unlearned. They were untaught. But they hear these Galileans, these rednecks, speaking in a language that they didn't know. And they're thinking, what in the world is going on here? So look at it as we go on. Verse 8. And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Notice verse 9. I'm going to read fast, but follow with me. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Now, now get this picture. God's in heaven pouring out his spirit, and he begins to do this miraculous thing through 120 people. He gives them the ability to start speaking in languages they don't know, and there are people in the streets around them who know these languages. When they hear the sound of the wind and they hear it rushing into this room, they start gathering around to find out what's going on. And these people start walking out speaking in their languages and they're telling them about God's great plan of salvation, God's plan for their lives, the great things that God has done, the great things he wants to do. And all of a sudden these people are like, wow, how in the world are these guys doing this? Listen to me. They saw it. They experienced it. They didn't question it. They knew it was real, but they did not understand what was going on. Now, in this group of people, there's 15, 16 different people groups mentioned here. It's possible there are 15 or 20 different languages mentioned here. But these 120 people come out of the upper room and they begin to speak, walk up to these people, begin to speak to them in their own language because the power of the Holy Spirit has now come upon them. But they're not talking about themselves. They're not talking about their own ideas. They're talking about the greatness of our God. They're empowered to share the gospel. And as these people are listening, it's like, wow, what's going on? Now, look at verse 12. So they were all amazed. And perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? 
What literally happened was in the original writings, they couldn't get their minds around it. They didn't even know what to say. They're just like, uh, I don't know. What does it mean? I don't know. I don't know. Can you imagine being there and being one of those guys? I mean, in our society, it'd be a little different, but can you imagine if we had a great conference and we had people come in from, from Russia, from Ukraine, from Italy, from France, from Central and South America? Can you imagine people coming from the Orient, people coming from all over the world, and they all speak different languages, but God would empower somebody to get up one at a time and speak to each people group? Can you imagine the, the wonder of that? Can you imagine when Fred goes home and he travels a few hundred miles and gets back home to his people and his wife said, did you have a good trip? Yeah. Anything unusual happen? Uh, yeah. As a matter of fact, let me tell you what happened. I mean, what an amazing moment to be there. But let's read on because I think it's important that we see what it says. Verse 13 says, others mocking said they are full of new wine. So what's happening in this crowd? There's confusion. There's confusion. Did you know there's still confusion today about tongues? And rightfully so, because if you don't understand, if you've not been taught, of course you would have questions about it. It's normal. But the question they asked was, they didn't say, is this real? They knew it was real. They heard it. They saw it firsthand. Their question was, what does this mean? What does it mean when God pours out his Holy Spirit and begins to do unusual, miraculous things in our lives? Well, on the day of Pentecost, you say, well, why tongues? On the day of Pentecost, here's what I believe. This became known as the birthday of the church. This is the day that the church began to grow. This is the day that God began to build his church and draw people together in what we call the church, what still exists to this day, something we're a part of to this day. Started 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. And God poured out his spirit upon 120 people who were followers of Jesus and began to fulfill the prophecy that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He started that work, but the intention of God was not to have a group of people in Israel. The message of God was to go to all of the earth. So what did God do? He poured his spirit on 120 people and sent them out to the streets and they planted the message and the seed of the gospel in nations all over the earth and people went home telling about the goodness and the greatness of our God. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit begins to work. It becomes contagious and it spreads. God's timing is impeccable. At the time when people are there from all over the world with different languages, God plants the seed through 120 people in the upper room. Now let's read a little further. Skip down to verse 16. So what, what in the world does this mean? What does this mean? That's what they're saying. Okay, we hear it, we know it's happening, but what does it mean? What's it all about? Peter gets up and begins to share a message, and we're going to skip down and get in the middle of the message, but verse 16, here's what Peter says. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. Verse 19, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Notice verse 21 
And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want you to notice three things that happens here. Three things. In this one passage, this one part of Peter's message, number one, Peter explained that this event was a fulfillment of prophecy. The baptism, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 was a fulfillment of prophecy. And I'll tell you more about that a little bit later. The second thing, Peter explained that no one, no one was to be excluded from this blessing. It's for you. It's for your sons, your daughters, your servants. In those days, your slaves. Anyone that the Lord calls, anyone who hears his name, anyone who opens their heart, this power of the Holy Spirit, this outpouring upon them was available to everyone. And third of all, Peter explained that this outpouring was all about a harvest. Isn't it interesting in the Old Testament story, it's the feast of weeks, festival of weeks. It's a time when we celebrate harvest. And isn't it interesting, on the day of Pentecost, the harvest began. God began to grow his church. He began to build his family and call people in from all over the earth. Peter said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friends, let me tell you today, every church going believer, everybody who believes in Jesus needs to understand the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon our lives is not to give us chill bumps and make us feel good about ourselves. It's for us to do the work of the ministry and bring in the harvest of God. That's what the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is about. It's about the harvest. Now look, skip down to verse 37. Peter's message continues, and then we get to verse 37. It says, now when they heard, when the crowd heard this, they were cut to the heart. What Peter had done was he'd preached to them Jesus. He said, you crucified Jesus. He's the son of God. God raised him from the dead. We saw it. We were with him for 40 days. He ascended back to the Father. He said he would send the Holy Spirit, and now he's done it. This that you see is that. That is this, and this is that. This is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So Peter says this. They were cut to the heart, and Peter and the rest of the apostles, they asked him, men and brethren, what shall we do? Verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you, to your children, to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And notice verse number 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. One day, 3,000 people came to Jesus because of the miracles, because of the message. Why? Because the day of Pentecost is all about harvest. Can you imagine 3,000 people getting saved in one day here at the Bridge Church? You know what? It could happen. If everybody who comes to church here on Sunday morning brought two people next week, it could happen next Sunday. That's a plug, okay? You need to bring people to church, all right? Don't look for somebody who agrees with you. Look for somebody who is lost. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for the lost. He's not sitting in the church saying, well, you all come on in. God's out there knocking on hearts. Go find those people and bring them in. See if God will save them. I guarantee you, God wants to reach lost souls. The outpouring of the Spirit was about one thing. It was about the harvest. What happened on the day of Pentecost 
with the outpouring of the Spirit, with the, the tongues, the miraculous thing that happens, with, with Peter's message, God was sending a salvation invitation to all the earth through those people who were there. And we need to understand that is still the mission of the church today. That's why we send teams to other parts of the world. We're doing our part to spread the gospel. Let me just talk to you about what this means to us today for a few minutes. In Acts chapter 2, we see this outpouring of the Holy Spirit with tongues. Miraculous. Acts chapter 8, we see it again in Samaria. Acts chapter 10, we see the same thing in the house of Cornelius, evidently among an Italian-speaking group. Later on, how many Italians are glad that God, God didn't pass you by? Isn't that good news? Rob, that's good news for you, buddy. Don't, don't miss it, okay? Acts chapter 10, you see that in the house of Cornelius. Acts chapter 19, we see the apostle Paul, who became known as the apostle to the Gentiles. He's the one that went to all the then-known world he could get to, spreading the gospel, building churches, preaching Jesus. He went to a place called Ephesus where they'd never even heard the gospel. And he found a group of men who were Jewish people who had, were proselytes. They, they had come into the Jewish religion and they, they'd come into John's baptism. And he began to share with them. And he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Acts 19, verse 2. If we've got it, throw it up there real quick. Acts 19, verse 2. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And those guys said, well, we, we don't even know if there is such a thing as the Holy Spirit. We hadn't heard. And he asked them, well, what were you baptized into? They said, John's baptism, John the Baptist. So Paul explained the gospel, what Jesus did, coming and dying for our sins, being raised from the dead, and ascending back to the Father. They received it. They were baptized in water. They became Christians, believers, followers of Christ. And then Paul laid hands on them, and they also were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it says that they began to speak in tongues, and they began to prophesy. Every time there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, God is equipping people to do things beyond their own ability to spread the gospel to people who are in need. We see it throughout the book of Acts over and over and over again. And the question that Paul asked them that day, I want to ask you today, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Have you allowed God to baptize you in his spirit, to come upon you in his spirit since you Believed? You know, Paul's question, it's interesting, two, two parts to it. First, the question, have you received it since you believed? Have you received? Have you? It's pretty simple. It's either yes, I have, or no, I haven't. You know, there's not, there's not four or five answers. It's one of two things, yes or no. But then the second thing, there's an assumption here. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? The assumption is, well, evidently, once you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you then have the right to be filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit. It is your right. It's interesting. We talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's sad that it's become such a note of controversy in the church world. It's sad that we get God in this little box you say, well, how do you know I've got God in a little box? Because that's about the size of your brain right there. We, we get God in this, we get God in this little, some of you got a little bigger boxes, but I've got about a seven and quarter, seven and three eighths. So I got a, I got a big box. We, we get God in this box. 
We get this box and we think, okay, this is who God is and what God is. What would happen in our lives if we move beyond what our box contains and just says, God, I want to experience the fullness of your Holy Spirit. What would happen in us and through us if we would do that? Talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Joel prophesied it. We talked about that, Joel chapter 2. Isaiah, in Isaiah, I believe it's chapter 28, talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit being a refreshing. John the Baptist said, I baptize you in water, but there's one coming after me. He's greater than me, and he'll baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus promised it. He said, go to the city of Jerusalem and wait until you are endued with power from on high. Literally what it says is wait until you put on the power of somebody else. Wait until you put on a power you've never known before. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Think about that word baptism. You know, I've heard people argue about the, the, the verbiage. Well, it says in Acts chapter 2, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But as I said earlier, to be filled means to be furnished, to be completed by the Holy Spirit. When you're baptized, we know what happens. If you've ever been here on a Sunday when we do water baptisms, we do them four times a year. Every fifth Sunday, we do water baptism. We pull the tank out here. We fill it with water. We line up the people. We bring them in. We, we lay hands on them. They pray on them. We, we dunk them in water. And when they go under the water, they get wet from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. And they come out of that tank, and they are totally covered with water. They are baptized, immersed in water. That's how we do it here at the bridge. Well, if you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes upon us and totally and completely covers us. Jesus says you'll put on the power of another. You can argue about, well, is he filling me up like a glass and only got me to here? Has he got me to here? Has he got me to here? Friend, I just want God to do what he wants to do in my life. I don't want to argue about verbiage. I just want what God has. Because God has a mission for each and every one of our lives, and we cannot fulfill all of that mission without the power of the Holy Spirit upon us and working upon us, working through us. Jesus said, Acts 1 8, it'll bring new power. Power you've never experienced before, it'll bring new power into your lives. There's symbols of the Holy Spirit. I'm almost finished, so stay with me. There's symbolism in Scripture about the Holy Spirit. We talked about fire. Fire is a passion. Fire is something that drives us, that moves us forward, that causes us to seek for all that God has for us. The Holy Spirit upon us causes us to reach out and do things we would never do without his power. Water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Water is refreshing. You know, Isaiah said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is a refreshing. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit refreshes us. It's amazing. Jesus said, whoever believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And he was speaking of the Holy Spirit that had not yet been given, is what it says in John chapter 7. Jesus said, this water will refresh you. It'll flow into every area of your life. It'll flow into places you never dreamed it could go. Open your heart to the Holy Spirit. We also see that oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. The book of James, we're, we're encouraged to lay hands on the sick, anointing them with oil. Oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming upon people. Oil in the Old Testament is symbolic of the Spirit of God coming upon someone for a purpose. 
In the Old Testament, what generally happened was the Holy Spirit would come upon a chosen few people, usually prophets, priests, and kings. But in the New Testament, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ has an opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to come upon our lives and empower us to do greater things for God's kingdom if we want it, if we desire it. Scripture is clear. It was intended for everyone, but the Holy Spirit has to be received. Jesus said he'd pour out his spirit upon everyone who asked for it. But we have to receive it. I, I teach this every now and then. Anytime you see the word receive in the New Testament, it's always talking about reaching up and taking what's been offered to you. It's not a passive word. It's an act of faith to reach up and receive what's being given to you. Receive the Holy Spirit. It's what Jesus told his followers. So let me ask you, have you received have you welcomed, have you asked for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you since you believed? Have you experienced that baptism when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and begins to work in your life in brand new ways? God wants to pour his spirit upon us to produce a harvest in every area of our lives that we can share with other people. That's his will. That's his plan. It's sad to see people become so enthralled in debate about the sound of the wind and about the, the fiery tongues and, and speaking in tongues and they get so involved in all the controversy they overlook what God did and what God is still doing among his people today. I believe it's a tool of the enemy to use controversy to keep us from seeking all that God has for our lives. Well, we get focused on tongues and prophecy and spiritual manifestations and we get so caught up in those things that we fail to understand the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is all about the harvest. What would happen if we would follow the scriptural example in Acts chapter 2? What would happen if we'd all just get together and just say we're going to stay until the Holy Spirit comes upon us? What would happen if we begin to pray and lay aside the things in our lives that distract us and the things that move us away from God? What if we would just pray and begin to worship and seek God and ask God to pour his spirit out upon us? What would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. When we got beyond all the theological barriers and all the nonsense that separates us from each other, God would pour out of his spirit and do something brand new in all of our lives. Every one of our lives. Then we could receive what the Holy Spirit wants to bring to complete us, to furnish us for the life God has for us to live. What would happen if we just came to the place where we just said, God, baptize me. However you want to do it, I don't care. I don't care. Just baptize me. I, I want you, God. I want everything you've got in this life for me. Baptize me in the Holy Spirit. Do what you want to do. I'm your vessel. What would God do? Our service today may last just a couple of minutes longer than normal. But here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, we're going to stand. We're just going to begin to worship God. And, and the worship team is going to come out right now. And we're going to sing one more song. And we're just going to welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
And we're just going to ask God in our own way as we worship him with our hands upraised. We're just going to ask God to baptize us, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Some of us, you know, some of you say, well, 1937, I experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, what has God done in your life lately? You might need to experience a fresh new outpouring of his spirit on your life. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand with me. Everybody standing, if you would. Right there where you are. Some of you are new to this. You're new to church. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I don't want to make you uncomfortable. But I'm going to ask everybody here. This is a sign of surrender and prayer. Just lift your hands to heaven. You can do it a little way. You can do it in a big way. I don't care how you do it. Just begin to pray and say, God, I want everything you have for me. I want everything you have for me. God, pour your Holy Spirit upon my life. Do in me what you want to do. I don't want to miss anything. God, baptize me. Come upon me. Prepare me, equip me for the purposes you have for my life. Now just begin to worship the Lord this morning and let's sing and worship God together.
while your hands are raised, just welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit. Would you do that? Father, fall fresh on us. Spirit of God, fall upon us today. Father, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. God, we welcome you. We receive, we open our arms wide and we reach up to heaven and we take what you promised, baptize us, fill us, empower us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us, Father, with your Holy Spirit. Just worship the Lord for a moment. Lift your voice, just begin to worship him. If you want to worship in the spirit, that's okay. Just go right ahead. Let's worship God for a moment. Father, we worship you. We honor you. We glorify you. We magnify you, oh God. Come upon our lives today. Come upon our lives today. Come upon our lives today, Holy Spirit. Baptize us. Baptize us with your power, with your purpose. God, give us a reason to live. God, give us the gifts of your spirit. Pour your spirit and your power upon our lives today. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. 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 Thank you, Father. We worship you. We worship you, Holy Spirit. We worship you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, for every person in this house today, not one person leaves excluded. Not one person leaves thinking they're unworthy or it's not for them. Father, we leave today celebrating the power of the Holy Spirit. Fall upon us today. Fall upon our lives. Heads are bowed for one more moment. Maybe you're here today and you do feel like you're on the outside because maybe you're not in relationship with God. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never opened your heart and said, God, I need you. The truth of the matter is, God loved you so much, he put his own son, Jesus, on a cross to die for your sins, for my sins, our sins. That our sins might be forgiven and washed away and that which was separating us from God could be moved away. We could come into relationship as God's children. He would become our father. God extends this forgiveness and this salvation to us. He wants you to know him now and throughout eternity. He wants to prepare for your eternal future. But he needs an invitation. He extends to you forgiveness. But he needs your faith to reach up and take it and say, I received this. We do that with words, with a prayer. We welcome him. I want to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask everybody in the house to pray this prayer with me today. Right out loud. You don't need to scream it, but everybody in the house... Even those who know the Lord already, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, God, I need you. And I open my heart to you. Please come into my life. Wash away my sins. Bring me into relationship with you. I trust Jesus as my Savior. And I want him to become the Lord of my life. So I receive you now. From this moment forward, God, I am your child. You are my father. I will follow you. Teach me your ways. I want to know you forever. 
Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Look right here for just a moment before we change the order of things. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time or maybe you've just been on the run, running from God, you've been the prodigal, welcome home. The most important you ever, decision you ever make in life is the decision to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But it's not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning. We want to help you start building that relationship with God. It's not about religion. It's about relationship with God. And we've got a little tool, a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. We want to give it to you before you leave the house today. When service is over, we'll have prayer teams here at the front of the building. They're here to pray with anyone for any need that you might have. But if you just walk down to one of these teams, just walk up and say, hey, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you right there. No strings attached. If you're in a hurry, you can just get it and go. If you've got questions, they can answer questions. If you want prayer for something else, they'll pray with you. But please, let us give this to you today. It'll help you build that relationship with God. If you're in a big rush, before you leave the second set of doors going out, there's a booth set up right there. You can get the same booklet there called The Next Seven Days. It'll just help you get started walking with God. Can we put our hands together and welcome people into God's family today? God bless you.